This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, February 13th. I'm Gavin McGough. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, at Telluride event, Adam Frisch considers 2024. G is for government, previews Telluride Town Council. Colorado legislature talks guns and immigration. And a mountain weather forecast. Last election cycle, Adam Frisch's campaign for the House of Representatives was written off as a non-starter. A Democrat running in a rural district with less than 25% of voters registered as Democrat and more than 35% registered as Republican, he faced an uphill battle. On top of that, his opponent was the well-funded and instantly recognizable incumbent Lauren Boebert. And yet, expected to lose by a landslide here in Colorado District 3, his bid fell short by only 500 votes, a razor-thin margin. At a meeting of the San Miguel County Democrats in Telluride last weekend, Frisch reflected on conceding the election back in November. Because after that, I got hundreds of emails about saying how gracious it was that we conceded and that we actually told people, keep your money. And I would say about 80% of the feedback actually came back from Republicans. It was really interesting, and again, uh, it is heartbreaking to lose by that. Uh, when you add up how close the race was in the House and, and everything, there's obviously, we did put CD3 on the map. There's no doubt about that. The San Miguel Democrats were gathered at the Liberty to get organized for 2024 and knock some housekeeping needs out of the way. Frisch offered remarks at the event, reflecting on the last election cycle and the state of the Democratic Party as a whole. President Biden in 2021, fewer than 10%. Of, of the rural counties in the country. We have a very urban-centric party. And my joke, which is not much of a joke, is the Democratic Party is 20 big cities, Aspen, and Telluride, and Nantucket. And that's pretty much all that's left of the Democratic Party. And um, we, we feel that here in Colorado as well. Colorado's third district makes up much of the western slope as well as parts of the southern front range and includes vast stretches of rural, traditionally Republican territory. In his remarks, Frisch says he believes voters, even those from the opposite party, are at heart interested in good, pragmatic governance. I'm just laser-focused on CD3, and it goes back to Colorado Water, Colorado Energy, Colorado Jobs, and we were very, very focused on that. And as I told people, I don't care how you voted in 2016 or 2020, I just, I ask you to think about you, your family, your business, and your community as you fill out the ballot for CD3. Because there are a lot of rational Republicans, frustrated Republicans that want someone to focus on the district and not themselves. Speaking with KOTO after his remarks, Frisch says the political moment is moving away from Trumpism, a transition which he saw in the run-up to the 2022 midterms. One of the bets I made was that I think Trumpism um, has peaked. It wasn't going to crash the next day, but obviously, you know, 14 months later, um, the biggest loser across the entire country on a macro result level was all of Trump's candidates, or the vast majority of them, crashed and burned. And the Republicans would have the Senate now if they ran more traditional Republicans and would have a lot more of the House than they do. What comes next? Frisch says less of what he terms the political circus and more humble, focused decision-making in government. And so the momentum that should go forward, especially in western and southern Colorado, is focus on the nuts and bolts of the job and treat people with respect and try to put your head down and do the work instead of seeking out as many cable news network channels as the current representative does.
the question of whether Frisch will run again in 2024 hung in the air. Eleni Constantin, chair of the San Miguel County Democrats, thanked Frisch for attending the meeting and floats the possibility of 2024. So Adam, you may have gotten an email from Adam recently that said, do you want me to run again? So this is our opportunity to tell him what San Miguel Without offering clear plans, Frisch asks voters to stay tuned for more news on any potential run. Telluride Town Council is meeting on Tuesday with the Fire Protection District, Open Space Funding, and a new Mayor Pro Tem on the docket. This week on G is for Government, Council Member Geneva Shawnette shares what to expect. Have a listen. Hey Geneva, thanks for taking a couple minutes to chat with me today. Thanks for having me as always. It's always fun to have you in the recording closet with us. Um, Tuesday is Telluride Town Council's regularly scheduled meeting, and you're kicking off the day with three work sessions. Can you give us a rundown on what those will be? Yes, absolutely. So work sessions start at 10 a.m. We're going to hear an update from the Telluride Fire Protection District uh, Chief Bennett about potential ballot measures coming forward um, from the Fire Protection District. Uh, next, uh, something that should be very exciting to many folks uh, who participated in the Valley Floor uh, situation that's been going on for the past couple of years, uh, we have raised enough and saved enough money to pay off the bonds, the remaining bonds on the Valley floor. Um, I think this happened a lot sooner than many people anticipated, uh, but we will be discussing the 20% solution, which the voters voted on years and years ago to dedicate 20% of all unencumbered revenue to the town into the open space fund to save, to pay off the Valley floor. We've now saved enough money, so we're going to discuss as a council what we should do about this 20% policy that we have now. How should we redirect those funds What um, and and how do we move forward and what do we save for with, with that money? So that's going to be, uh, we definitely want to hear from the public about that. So if you're interested in this topic, please tune in and let us know what you think. Um, after that, we are going to hear from Kyle Beck, our public works director, about some amendments to the procurement code, which is basically how that department um, puts out uh, grants and uh, acquires contracts and things like that. Got it. And then actually some of the administrative reports, which are typically at the end of the day, will go before lunch as well, just because there's time. And then in the afternoon after lunch, there's a number of, you know, those procedural admin boards and commission type things. And then just a couple uh, items in the afternoon that folks might be interested in. Can you share what those are going to be? Yeah. So we're going to have um, first reading of two ordinances. One has to do with elections, which we discussed uh, in our last meeting with our clerk, Tiffany Cavanaugh. And the other one um, has to do with some HARC uh, zoning and, p sorry, some HARC and PNZ um, noticing uh, procedures. Um, and then after that, we will be electing a replacement mayor pro tem and hearing a liquor license 
uh, application for the Bruno Between the Covers location uh, for their they're applying for a liquor license. Got it. Um, it is. It seems like a pretty straightforward, maybe not the most contentious meeting that y'all have ever had. Um, is there anything else that you think that listeners might be interested in hearing as it relates to town government? You know, I think that we've got these big projects upcoming with uh, regional projects like the wastewater treatment plant and the gondola, and those are going to be expensive projects. You know, the town of Telluride is not the only organization that is going to be providing funding for that, but I think that this 20% open space fund discussion in the mornings can be really interesting. And for folks who wonder how we spend money and why we decide things we decide and want to give input, that would be a really cool thing to tune into in the morning. Perfect. Well, Geneva, thanks for taking a couple minutes to chat with me. Thanks so much. The Colorado legislature is taking up two hot-button issues, guns and immigration. In this installment of Capital Conversation, KOTO State House reporter Lucas Brady-Woods brings the latest. Hey, Lucas. Thanks for taking a couple minutes to chat with me today. Of course. Thanks for having me. So the first, I actually wanted to chat with you about two bills, both having to do with um, guns, and I think some may say gun regulation in, in different capacities. One looks at giving counties more control over where folks can fire guns, and then also one looking at the types of bullets folks can use. Can you pick which one you choose and kind of share a little bit about what these bills would do? Let's start with the non-toxic bullet replacement program bill, which was put forward by Representative McLaughlin, who's from Southwest Colorado, she's Durango-based, but she her district covers quite a bit of Southwest Colorado, and that's specifically for hunters, for hunters who have toxic bullets, for example, mainly lead bullets, so that it would create a program that would allow hunters to exchange those lead bullets for other non-toxic bullets, which is probably copper. Um, and, you know, they, it would be an opt-in program. They could do it for free and, you know, swap the bullets out. Uh, the idea is to get more lead out of the environment because, according to the bill sponsor, lead bullets that are used in hunting not only get into the wildlife, but they also can get into the food that's eaten from those game animals. You know, that seems like a relatively straightforward bill. Is there been a lot of pushback from folks who don't think this is a good idea? There's been a little bit, you know, and and it's mostly from people who are, um, you know, who want to uphold gun rights and and the right to bear arms and all that. But but I will say on the non-toxic bullet replacement program, there is less opposition than on this other bill that we, we just mentioned, which would give counties more authority to prevent firearms discharges, gunfire in certain areas of the county. Currently, they can do that in certain densely populated areas, but not on private property. This bill would allow them to do it on private property only in certain densely populated areas. According to the bill sponsor, Judy Amabile from Boulder, this is not meant to infringe on rural areas, and it's meant to give local control to this so that county commissioners and residents can have a say in where this can be put in place. There is pushback from 
a bunch of Republicans who, who say this is an improper infringement on the Second Amendment and the right to bear arms and all that. But uh, sponsor Amabile keeps saying that this is not meant to be that, that it's meant for certain communities and not others. And that's why it's a, a local, it's giving the power to county commissioners and not putting any kind of broad restrictions on from the from the state government. Yeah, and we are actually catching you in the midst of hours-long meeting about this bill. What have you been hearing from folks who are either testifying for or against it? Well, people who are for it, it's it's about public safety. It's about keeping neighborhoods safe and and you know preventing firearm discharge where there's a lot of densely populated homes, a lot of people. You know, critics of the bill say that this is about people from mainly the city coming to rural areas and wanting to impose their own values about guns on, you know, these rural areas and curtailing the right for folks to shoot guns on their own property, they say mainly because they don't like the noise. But again, the supporters say it's not about the noise. It's about public safety. Right. I also wanted to check in with you on a bill that would curb Colorado's um, contracts with privately run immigration detention centers. Can you share what this bill would do? The bill sponsors that I've talked to have made it very clear that this is not trying to outlaw private detention centers. It's just about giving local law enforcement more of an ability to focus on what they say is what they're, they're supposed to focus on, local law enforcement. They want to give them more of a, uh, allow them to spend more time on local stuff as opposed to helping federal immigration authorities detain uh, subjects, right? Because what, what happens a lot is Immigration and Customs Enforcement or ICE or uh, Customs and Border Patrol um, will sometimes request help from local law enforcement in detaining certain individuals. But what this bill does is it prevents local law enforcement from contracting or working with private detention centers so that they are no longer, what the bill sponsors say, doing the work that federal authorities should be doing. You know, those are all um, maybe not the the most... Um, the lightest or um, they're kind of dense topics um, to be covering. So over the past week, have there been any lighthearted or uh, maybe whimsical moments that you have been part of or seen at the Capitol? Well, there is one thing that's happened over the last week that is possibly more exciting than anything going on at the Capitol. They got a new coffee maker at the canteen. (laughs) And I mean, no, but in all seriousness, they didn't have this coffee maker for two days because apparently the coffee maker company was delayed in delivering it. So people at the Capitol, you know, we need our coffee, of course. And uh, people (laughs) would show up to see just an empty space where this coffee maker in the cafeteria is supposed to be. But they finally got it all hooked up and it's super fancy got, you know, you just push a button and it makes a latte or a cappuccino or whatever. And uh, I am definitely, definitely utilizing that new coffee maker. So that, that's definitely been, been a highlight. Well, Lucas, thank you so much for taking a couple minutes to chat with me and we'll let you get back to that um, hearing that is getting exciting. Yes, it's delaying a bunch of committee meetings because it's a, it's a, it's a hearing on the House floor. But um. Thank you so much for having me, as always. I love talking to you at KOTO and the rest of RMCR. That was KOTO's Lucas Brady-Woods reporting from Denver.
San Miguel County is working to create a new development roadmap for the east end of the county with an east end master plan. The current master plan for the area was adopted in 1989 and is due for an update. Now the county is looking for input from the public through an online survey. According to the county, the goal of the survey is to hear what is most important to people in eastern San Miguel County and to help form the vision for the region's future. The East End Master Plan is a roadmap to guide the community towards its shared vision and future goals. The survey is open through Friday, March 3rd. It is available at sanmiguelcountyco.gov slash eastendmasterplan. The survey takes about 15 minutes to complete and is available in Spanish and English. There are so many ways to travel the globe. By plane, train, automobile, but also writing. This winter, the Wilkinson Public Library is circumnavigating the world through poetry. Poet Alyssa Dixon hosts monthly writing play shops, using short poems as prompts for exploring experiences and perspectives on how it feels to be alive in the world we live in. This month's play shop will dive into Chile, land of volcanoes, glaciers, and empanadas. Known to residents as the country of poets, the play shop will explore sacred inner and outer landscapes, drawing on Chilean poems for inspiration. Later in the series, writers will explore Somalia and India. The Around the World Writing Play Shops take place the third Wednesday of the month from 10 a.m. to noon. The workshops take place via Zoom. Registration is available at telluridelibrary.org. Big snow in the Rockies is boosting the water supply for the Colorado River. KUNC's Alex Hager reports forecasters expect above-average water totals to flow into Lake Powell this spring. Predictions show 117 percent of average. That's thanks in part to a strong couple months of snow. Most of Colorado was well above average, and parts of Utah and Wyoming nearly broke records for precipitation. Snowmelt runs off into rivers starting in May, with peak flows lasting into the middle of June. Dry soils are expected to soak up a lot of that water before it can get to the places where people divert and collect it. But this winter will likely help the nation's largest reservoirs. Still, scientists say we'd need about five back-to-back years of above-average snow to reverse the effects of a two-decade drought. I'm Alex Hager. Moab is one of the most popular destinations to highline, a sport similar to tightrope walking. Now, the first highlining guiding business in the United States will open there in March. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KZMU's Emily Arnson has more. Faith Dickey is doing a trial run for her new guiding business, Elevate Outdoors. She wants to get some coaching practice in, so she's invited some friends out to a popular highlining spot in Mineral Canyon to teach them the basics. A 65-foot line is stretched out across two ends of the rim and bolted into the slick rock. Dickie is sitting at the edge of the canyon, coaxing her friend onto the line. Her friend is practicing how to fall. He's just intentionally stepped off the line and is now dangling from his harness about 400 feet off the ground. 
Dickie is teaching him how to get back up. She's testing out some techniques that she hopes will make highlining more accessible to newbies. She's set up a kind of leash system above the highline. Beginners can hold onto the top rope above them to keep their balance as they walk across. So it's essentially top rope highlining, but it's really cool because it gives people the opportunity to stand out in the middle of space, hundreds of feet off the ground on a highline, who maybe didn't have a way to do that before. Quincy Mazur is stepping out on a high line for the first time. You're doing good, Quincy. Strong leg. <laughs> you got this, Quincy. You got You're it. not Take stuck. A Take a step. How was it out there? Um, <laughs> terrifying. You killed it. Really scary. I'm crying right now. <laughs> My heartbeat is literally racing. I should look, let's see if it went up. Oh yeah, it went up the spike to 131. <laughs> you a climber? I'm not a climber. I like to be on the ground <laughs> firmly. So that was outside my comfort zone. But then Faith invited you out and you were like, sure, try anything once? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I've always wanted to and now I know I don't think it's for me, but I feel like it was really good for me to just come out here and do it. It's good to be scared and to do things anyways. Even when you're scared, you gotta do them. It was super cool to see her like push through this line and I could tell she was getting gripped where your body just isn't responding to you. You're like telling it to do something and it won't move. And yeah. it's just, I'm like so proud of her for pushing through that. I did, I had that moment where I was like, I can't take another step, but I didn't want to fall. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I guess I'll just keep going. Yeah. Dickie says she loves watching people walk their first highline. It totally brings me back to my first experience. My body just totally resisted what was happening, and I just fell and fell and fell. And it was wild to have that experience of, like, my brain is telling my body to do a thing, and my body is not doing it. How do you anticipate coaching new highliners through those mental blocks? I like to use the concept of meditation as a way to kind of translate the experience to people. Um, breathing was a huge component to be able to calm your body down, even while there's like a survival primal instinct happening in your mind of like, get away from the cliff edge, get away from the void. Yeah. And what are some of the things you hope to teach people who have never experienced this or who have never encountered fear or like the possibility of death in such a stark way? I hope I can really impart on people that if you never take risks, you don't know what you're capable of. It's really powerful to push yourself out of your comfort zone and go beyond what you think you can do. For KZMU and Moab, I'm Emily Arnson. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for heavy snow tonight with a low around 20 and possible accumulations of 4 to 6 inches. Tuesday calls for snow showers with a high near 30 and forceful wind. Snow is forecast to continue Tuesday night with a low around 10 degrees and 4 to 8 inches of possible accumulation. Wednesday calls for snow and a high near 20. Wednesday night calls for a chance of snow showers tapering off and a low around 0 degrees. This has been the news for Monday, February 13th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, Call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Hello, Kodo listeners. 
Do you have a child between the ages of zero and eight? Join Bright Futures and Wilkinson Public Library on Tuesday, February 14th from 1130 to 1230 for a very special support group featuring parent and child yoga. Please participate with or without your child. Fun holiday crafts and snacks will be provided. See you there and happy Valentine's Day. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You're also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.